Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to this. Isn't this true? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, taking seal seal it for thy course. Prone to wonder. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We're about to sing a fifth verse to this song that's a little unfamiliar. Listen to these words and just ponder this, this idea that on the day we will be freed from sinning. Let's sing this together. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, full of radiant blood washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign my Lord, no longer tarry, bring thy promises to pass, for I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee last, for I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee last. Amen. You guys can have a seat for that day. I know that thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee at last. Well, church, it's good. Good to be back. Welcome back. I know a lot of you probably came in um, maybe this weekend even. Um, so if you've been out of Fayetteville, I'm sorry you've been out of Fayetteville. It's still as cool as it was when you left. Um, but welcome back, man. We're excited to have you guys. Um, it's a lot of, a lot of fun stuff happening as the school year starts. We're excited for Razorback football. It's about to fire up in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, fun stuff. Um, but hey, I understand that we're, we're coming into this room tonight and our summers have probably been all over the place. Uh, some of you, I talked to you over the summer and you were at camp and man, God did some awesome things in your life while you were at camp or you were able to go on some mission trips over the summer, um, and you're coming back and you're, you're fired up and you're just, you're pumped um, to get back into a rhythm and to, to share with others what God's been teaching over the summer. But I know a lot of you um, probably just went off uh, the rails this summer, um, not on purpose, but the chaos that happens when we get out of rhythm, um, it, just, it just affects us. And so, and so I know that there's a, there's a mixture um, of emotions kind of going on in the room, and some of us are si- excited to start the new school year, and um, some of you guys may be just nervous out of your mind. Um, and so let's take a, a, a moment to pause, and I want us to reflect that all, even, all, even though all of these emotions that we're coming in with, wherever we're at, those things are gonna change 
Um, if you're really bummed, you might get really pumped up by the end of the night. If you're really pumped up, you may get really bummed by the end of the night. But, but we have a, a God that is unchanging. And that's what we're gonna celebrate tonight, that his promises were true, are true, and will remain true. And so in light of that, I wanna, I wanna transition us into a moment to just pause and let's reflect our need. Let's reflect on our need for a savior. That's the first step. Is we need to acknowledge that we actually need Jesus on our behalf. And so, so church, let's, let's move into a time of confession. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna do as a corporate confession and then we're gonna take some time and we're just gonna pray where we're at. And so if you would, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a line and then together as a whole, let's read, forgive us, O Lord, as it follows. And really, really sit on these as we read them. Make this a true confession of your heart. Great and merciful God, we so quickly lose sight of your faithfulness. Forgive, Forgive us, us, O Lord. How we choose to fear the consequences and persecution of man over the obedience of your calling. Forgive, Forgive us, O Lord. How we neglect the holiness of our sovereign King and forego mission given to us. Forgive us, O oh Lord. How we choose convenience over faithfulness. Forgive us, O oh Lord. Yahweh, you are the one true King, our Creator and Savior. Have mercy on us. Forgive us where we lose sight of your glory. And now church, as you remain seated, let's just take some time to pray. Ask God to reveal sins in your life that maybe you're even unaware of. And, and let's name those sins that we are aware of that are very clear. And let's ask a great and holy God for forgiveness. Let's do that now. our need for a savior, confessing our sins that show that we cannot obtain any righteousness on our own account, but that we can alone obtain that through a savior, through Jesus Christ. And so we're reminded of that in our assurance of pardon, that we can actually rejoice that all of that sin is covered. This is my favorite verse in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel. That we have sin in our lives and, and because of that, we have separated ourselves from a holy God. 
but we have a Savior in Christ Jesus, fully God, fully man, came and he lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and gave his life for us as a sacrifice. He conquered sin and death by rising from the grave three days after he was killed. Church, this is awesome news. That, uh, that sin that we just confess is cast as far as the east is from the west, that it is no more in the eyes of God, not because of anything that we have done, but what Christ has done through us. And so as we reflect on that assurance of pardon, and maybe it's your first time hearing that tonight, but man, let that sit in. And I hope that it sits in through this next song. As we reflect on that, it's yet not I, but through Christ in me, that is what we can rejoice in. So let's stand together and let's sing about that grace that we have through Christ, through Christ alone.
Christ has paid the cost. He has fulfilled what it is you desired from us that we could not fulfill, but in Christ we are redeemed. And so, um, God, thank you. Thank you. Let us rest in that this evening, God. We're thankful for your grace. It's in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Y'all grab a seat. Man, I love, welcome back. I love being in here with y'all. I love getting to worship and sing with y'all. I've missed you if you've been gone over the summer. Uh, Sunday nights and the fall and the spring are like my favorite night of the week. So it's glad to be back. Are you glad to be back? All right. Uh, if you're new, if you transferred in, if you're a freshman and you're not at Freshman Pep Rally right now, welcome to Fayetteville. Uh, our team would love to help you just figure out what our city's all about and help you get connected to our church or a church or a campus ministry here. Uh, let me introduce myself. I'm Garland. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this is my family. So I've got uh, a wife, Sarah. She's sitting in the back right now. And I've got three kids. I've got a nine-year-old, Titus, and Hattie Mae is my little seven-year-old. And then the, the one that runs our life right now is Colin. And she basically runs everything in our life right now. Uh, and so everything that we want to do, it runs essentially through her at this point, which is not all that fun. Um, but she's wonderful and she's super cute. And this is a good picture to kind of capture her for you. Um, I went to the U of A not that long ago. English majors? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Um, so two of you. I'm glad to have you in the room uh, with us. Uh, so I, I went to the U of A not all that long ago. And uh, here's what I'd like to do. I'm originally from uh, Little Rock, born in Little Rock, and then I ended up uh, being raised up here in Northwest Arkansas. So I, so I can know who's here. Where's my Central Arkansas people in the room? All right, okay. What about my Texans in the room? 
oh my gosh. You're gonna love my bold prediction in a minute for the football season. Um, where are my, let's just work our way up. We'll go clockwise. Oklahoma? It's more than I was expecting. Good for you, Oklahoma. What about uh, Missouri? And I'm counting Kansas City as Missouri, wherever you're from in Kansas City. All right, so we just work, uh, we got Tennessee, Memphis in the room. Okay, very proud to be from Memphis. We're like, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, what about Louisiana? Cajuns in, this, in the room. Oh, what about Northwest Arkansas people in the room? Right. What, what, River Valley? What am I missing? River Valley people? Russellville! Woo! Yeah. What am I missing? Oh, I, I don't, Northeast Arkansas. I'm glad to have you over here. Glad to have you over here. Am I missing anybody? You can just yell it out. You already saw it. All right. Um, so this is a, we do this every year. It's a tradition that I've installed. Nobody likes it. Nobody wants it, but I do it every year. Uh, I make a bold prediction this first Sunday night service uh, of the year. If you remember, if you were here last year, here was my prediction last year. Arkansas will beat Auburn. And I said, it's a lock. And if you remember, technically, we lost that game. But that was this game. Remember? That was the backwards, Bo Nix, backwards spike where the refs again cheated in favor of Auburn, and I have no idea why, because they suck, and they always get lucky. All right, I got my bold prediction for this year. You ready? I feel good about it. Take this one to the bank. Put some cash on it, all right? Kind of a profit in these things. Here's my bold prediction. Don't put cash on it. Don't bet. Arkansas, we're sweeping Texas this year, baby. All three teams. That's Rice, that's the Aggies, and that's the Longhorns, all three. When it happens, remember, yeah, take a picture of that. When it happens, you'll remember. I called that first. I'm a prophet about this. Um, now that that's over with, um, let's get down to the Bible. If you wouldn't mind, stand up with me. Uh, in honor of the reading of God's Word, would you stay? Yeah, stand up with me. We're going to read. From the, I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. I'm just going to read the Bible, okay? Um, some of you that have been around are like, I don't, I don't want to stand up. I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, here we go. In honor of the reading of God's word, we're going to stand and uh, just hear this vivid, interesting, apocalyptic language from the writer John in the late first century A.D. through the centuries handed down to us. You get to hear it study tonight. Pretty cool. Revelation 5, 1 to 10. Is it on the screen? It is. Uh, start there. Hear it. Then I saw... In the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God set out into all the earth. The lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne 
And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, hear it, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Um, if you're new with us, we, we try to make this simple so you can uh, take notes. If, you've, if you have the Bible taught to you, just take notes, okay? Make sure you, re, you write down what's being taught to you so you can check it, and you also reteach it in your discipleship later. Here's our three points for tonight. So I'm encourage you. If you don't have a Bible, if you didn't make it up to college with a Bible, if you are secular and skeptical about all this, but you want to read a Bible, I'll get you one. I'll be right here at the end of the service. I will let you walk out with one. It's my gift to you, okay? So we'll find you one. Uh, here's our, our outline for tonight. As we're, I'm calling this a song worth singing. First, we're gonna see our need for a song, every single one of us. Second, we're gonna see a radical deconstruction of power. It's an, I've chose that word on purpose. And lastly, a new, and by the way, a better, way more superior anthem or song to sing. So our need for a song, universally, everybody, every single one of us, we're gonna have a deconstruction of power. And lastly, we're gonna see the new and better song. And as I was thinking about this idea of a song, it got me thinking, what is it about singing? Like, what is it about song? What's the deal with songs? If you think about it, songs are artistic expressions of something both emotional and intellectual. And songs, singing, they oftentimes are about things that are important or valuable to us as people. Like we sing about love and lovers, and we sing about sex. We have songs in our culture about uh, living the good life or about overcoming hardships. We have songs that encode something about our country, like watch on the, the little podium at the end of the Olympics when somebody's won and they play their anthem. And sometimes you can see the emotion streaming down their face. Songs, they capture what's important oftentimes to a people or a culture, which got me thinking, what are the top songs right now? Because I'm a little out of the loop. So I went and looked, top songs from this past week, and you might know some of these songs. Here are the top 10 songs from this past week. What are they encoding about us as a people? What are these songs saying about us? Now, uh, I just picked at random, and I wish I had picked a different one. I picked number five at random and looked at the lyrics, okay? I don't know who or what a Doja Cat is, uh, but I went and looked, and uh, I'm gonna read you the lyrics. Here's the lyrics of this song. Um, what is it encoding for us? What is this song about? What is it worshiping? What is the story it's telling? Some of you are like, please don't do this. This is the first little part. We hug and kiss, we make love, and always just say, good night, la, 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 la. And we cuddle, sure I do love it, but I need your lips on mine, can you kiss me more? We're so young, boy, we ain't got nothing to lose, oh, oh. It's just principle, baby hold me, cause I like the way you groove, oh, oh. I've never heard this song. Well, I wish I chose a different one, cause it gets just bad after that, all right? Some of you were like, man, what's, oh, I listen to that a lot. Anyway. Um, if you think about songs, songs oftentimes they're expressing something emotional, something deep within us. They're oftentimes encapsulating what's important to us as a people and a culture. And when we look at the book of Revelation, what we're gonna see is the book of Revelation is filled with songs. I mean, it's almost on every single page of this book, song after song after song. Let me give you a couple of examples. 
Day and night, the song never stops. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This, this ensemble in the heavenly throne room says, you're worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and power. Just a few pages over. I just picked a few, by the way. We give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you've taken your great power and begun to reign. My favorite one of the books in chapter 19. Hallelujah, the song says, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. By the way, it's a wedding song. Notice, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And even in our passage that we read just a minute ago, and they sang a new song saying. I think this just brings up a really simple principle. You and I are created. Like it's part of who we are. We're built to praise. We're built to sing. We're built to worship. Whether you're a good singer or a bad singer, by the way. Our lives are meant to find something of value and to praise it. To find something of value and to worship it. I'm going to let a writer and thinker speaker do the work for me. Now, he's not a Christian. This person is a secular, coming from an atheistic perspective, and tragically took his own life about 15 years ago. Here's David Foster Wallace. Here's what he says. I think he captures it perfectly. Not a Christian. Hear what he says. Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. You, me, the roommate down the hall, your roommate, the person down the hall, your friend, your parents, we're all worshiping something, he's, saying, he's stating. And he says, the only choice we get is what to worship. That brings a question for you and for me. What do you worship? Like, what gets the devotion, the attention, the time, the energy, the effort of your life? What do you strive for? What do you say, if I have that, then I don't need anything else. I'll, be, I'll finally know that I matter. I'll finally know that I'm not alone. If I could just have that, that might illustrate what you worship. And for, for some of us, it could be a whole bunch of different things. Like, it might be a, a relationship or your reputation with a group of people. For some of you, it... It might have been that for the last several months, the only focus of your attention was getting into that sorority or getting into that fraternity. And you may be really excited tonight because of the news you got, or you may be crushed tonight. But you're worshiping the idea of what that, those, those letters will do for you. For some of you, it might be uh, you're, you're worshiping uh, the idea of your grades going a certain way because if you make those grades and you get this internship with that internship, you can get into this grad school with that grad school, you get this job and have the spouse and the money and the lake house and you get it all. You're striving for it. If I could just have that, I'll know that I'm significant. I know I'm not alone. What do you worship? What gets the, the direction, the devotion of your life? Foster Wallace, not a Christian, continues. There, he says, and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things. Now, I'm gonna pause right there. I bet a lot of you maybe not sitting here tonight going, I worship money. But what about the things that money can afford for you? 
where you come from, the car you drive, the clothes you drive, and what that says about you on campus, what that says about you around the people you run with. Money, it's not just money, it's money and things and the status they give you. If you worship money and things and the status they give you, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. You'll always be comparing. You'll always be a little bit jaded when somebody else outdoes you or has something a little better than you. You won't, be, you won't celebrate theirs. You'll only deep down be envious of what they have. He continues. It's the truth, he says. Worship your own, hear, hear him. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, knowing that, you, that people are attracted to you. And you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths. If the number on the scale or how you look in the mirror, if that is where you draw your satisfaction, if that's the devotion of your life, that's where you say, that's how I'll know I'll have meaning, that's how I'll know I'm beautiful, it will cause you to be always anxious. It will cause you to be always worried about the next comment or somebody not giving you a comment because they didn't notice. You'll always be comparing to yourself to what you see on TV. You'll be comparing yourself to what you see on Instagram. You'll be comparing what you see on campus. It will eat you alive and you'll die a million deaths. Can I give you two for me? One from back when I was your age and one that's lingered with me for years. Uh, for me, when I was in college, the thing that I thought would make me significant, it was one girl, this relationship. My sophomore year, I thought, if, I, if, she would, if she would date me, if she wanted to be with me, if she loved me, then I would feel significant. And guess what? She did. We had we started dating, and for a while, man, I felt, I felt attractive, I felt important, I felt like this person that I think's really awesome wants me in return. And it made me feel significant. And the problem is, both of us began to worship our relationship. And we put so much expectation on the relationship with each other. I began to kind of distance myself from friends because I just was thinking about her. We began to mask issues that we had. We got really codependent because the relationship was what we were after. We couldn't be honest about some of the conflict and disagreements that we were having. And eventually the relationship crumbled around its own weight. She made a horrible object of worship. And some of you might now, you might be in that codependent relationship. Going, I, don't, I don't know how to get out of this. What do you worship? Second one for me. This one I've, has lingered with me for years. What I really worship, what gets my attention, my devotion, my loyalty, what I really worship is me. What I want, when I want it, how I can get it, how I can, how I can fix problems in my life. I, I can show that I'm spiritual, I can show that I'm funny, I can show that I'm important. And here's what's scary about that. That also makes a horrible God, how important I feel. It tethers me to my emotion, and it tethers me to what you might think about me or what the Sunday morning crowd might think about me. It tethers me to that, and that's a roller coaster ride. Worship anything else, and it will always eat you alive. The worst part about me worshiping me is that I don't have the strength or the power oftentimes to do the very things that I wanna do, and I let myself down. What gets the praise, the worship of your life? Jesus says it this way, hey, what you treasure, you'll give your heart, your body, your attention, your time, your soul away to it. You have to have the right treasure 
or will, you'll die a million deaths. What do you treasure? I'm asking you, think about it in your life right now. The author of Revelation is gonna say something cataclysmic. He says, we got a different song. I have found something worthy of my worship and it's changed everything. I found something, it's unlocked the secret to joy. It set me free from all that. But before we see the song, the song worth singing, we gotta do, we gotta do some behind the scenes of this song. If you, why did they go there? I don't want that, I want here. We gotta do some behind the scenes of the song. Uh, you know when you know the story of a song, it makes the song like more important, more catchy? You understand it more when you know it's about a breakup or it's about their mom or something. Then you go, okay, that relationship with their mom is why they wrote this song. And now I understand they had a really hard thing and now I get the song even better. We've got to go behind the song of Revelation 5, 9, and 10. To do that, we've got to go see what 1 to 8 is all about. Now, I'm calling this deconstructing power. We're having a reckoning in our culture right now, are we not? For centuries... Those in positions of power have been able to lord their power over others. And they tell the story. They write the history books. They tell the narrative. You've noticed this? And there's been a reckoning in our culture lately. It's at the heart of a lot of the movements that we see, the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. It's a rejection that those in a position of power can claim that power and write the story how they want to. And I've talked to many of you in this room. I mean, I've been pastoring college students for 15 years now. It's to many of you in this room. And I'm hearing this, this word a lot, this deconstruction idea. For some of you, it, you might be kind of tearing down or deconstructing. Maybe it, maybe it is the faith that your parents raised you in or your church back home or uh, maybe what you're beginning to deconstruct is what, the, is what the Bible says about different things or what you're deconstructing sexuality or deconstructing gender or deconstructing race and racial things in our country. And I, here's the deal. I hope that our church would be a safe place for you to bring your honest questions, your sincere doubts, for it would be a safe place for you to say, I got a concern about what this says in the Bible. I don't know how to deal with it. I hope that this would be a place for you to come and bring those questions. We would love to process that with you. But as you're asking those questions, I may only be talking to like 10 of you in the room. As you're asking some of these questions, though, may I ask you to, to deconstruct all the way down Deconstruct as consistently the things you're looking at maybe in, your, in the Christian worldview or the conservative worldview. Be as consistent with that as you are on the other side with your progressive worldview. Here's what I mean. For many of you, for many people, kind of your generation, my generation, what I see is we're abandoning this idea of all these old ancient things, Bible, Scripture, and we're running to find something, some kind of a group, some kind of a movement that can welcome me in and help me know that I matter, a group that will, will not leave me isolated and alone, a group that lets me kind of live how I want to live and be who I want to be, a group that can bring true and lasting peace to this country, to this world. Here's the problem. No political ideology, no social movement, no spiritual ideology, not from the right, conservatism, and not from the left, progressivism, has been able to go deep enough to deal with what, what actually causes all of the issues. And it's, it's in us. They don't go deep enough to deal with power itself. All these movements, they promise much, but in the end, they oftentimes run into the very same problems 
because they haven't redefined power. They never deconstructed power. And what we're going to see in Revelation 5 is a dramatic and surprising twist, a turn where power is radically flipped on its head, which got me thinking, you already saw the slide, what are the best, like, dramatic endings or story twists in movie history or stories that you've heard of or seen recently? Like, the one from Shutter Island came to mind. Carrie's the one who mentioned it to me. Like, is he saying at the end or not? I mean, I don't know. That last line just leaves you hanging. Or, like, we all saw this one coming. She's a Palpatine. Pfft. It's obvious. You couldn't be any more creative than that. J.J. Abrams. Now, Star Wars fans in the room? Never mind. I won't talk to anybody. You only have, like, four of you. Star Wars 9 ruined Star Wars. All right? I liked where 8 was going. I didn't like the movie. But I liked where 8 was going, and it ruined Here we go, another one. What about this surprise ending? Let's just do a little show of hands here. I want to know, is the, is the top still spinning or does it fall over? Let me ask, how many of you think that the top falls over, he's no longer dreaming, he's back in the real world? How many of you think that? My optimists in the room. You're optimistic. You see, if you've not seen Inception, you have no idea. I just ruined the movie for you. If you've not seen this, I just ruined it for you. How many of you think that the top falls over at the end? How many of you have not seen Inception? That is a shock. All right, this might be more up your alley. Then a more recent surprise twist was this right here. This guy, he wins. He looks like a character on Madagascar. That guy won? Are you serious? Oh, and by the way, she turned out to be kind of mean. Did you watch the After the Rose? Golly, take it down a notch, please. This dude did not see that coming. Um, we're going to have a significant, radical twist of what you're expecting in Revelation chapter 5. And if you can see this, if you can lock into this, this very well might be the kind of thing, the kind of idea that might unlock the thing that really changes this world. To lean in, Revelation 5, see what, see what the author is doing for us. He has a vision of the Ancient of Days, of God, Yahweh, on his throne. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now, I want you to write down next to this, Daniel 12, 4. Daniel 12, 4. The book of Daniel ends by the prophet being told, seal up the scroll. And many scholars think that what Revelation is doing is saying, we're, we're revealing what's been it's been sealed in all of the prophets from before. And what, what we're revealing is this picture of the king and his kingdom. The Messiah is coming. Daniel 12, 4. Go look it up. By the way, if you want to talk Revelation, anybody in this room, I'll be to anytime, anywhere, maybe not anywhere, but we'll meet anytime to talk about this book. It's incredible. If you're like, I think that's weird, the book of Revelation is kind of, let's, let's go talk. It's awesome. Now look at what John does with this. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Now, we, we're familiar with this because it's in the Bible and Shane and Shane sing that song. It's like, that's cool. But in the first century, the audience knows exactly what he's referencing here. They know exactly who he's talking about. I gotta give us some, do a little history work for us to know what he's talking about. He's talking about this guy. The first century world is the part of the world where this is being written is ruled by Rome. They are the empire in power. 
and they have as king over them the Caesar, who's been named as the, the divine son of God, who brings peace and blessing to the nations. Follow him, bow down to him. And the Caesar on the throne, many scholars think when Revelation is being written, is a guy named Domitian. What is he holding? It's, maybe, it's not a baton, it's not Olympics. He's holding a scroll. The scroll signifies Domitian's authority and power and rule. When Domitian would enter the games, an announcer would stand beside him and announce to the stadium, now who is worthy to open the scroll? And in front of the stadium, Caesar would open the scroll. And the crowd would cheer because Caesar has the divine authority to rule the nation. Submit to him. He's your king. But look at chapter, Revelation 5.3. This is very, very critical of Domitian. Look at verse 3. No one was found who could open the scroll. No one in heaven or on the earth. No one could open this scroll. By the way, these statues are all over the Roman world. This is, him, this is propaganda. And John comes along and says, no, 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 we're not, following. we're not following for that. We're not following for that at all. He's not worthy. Now let's see who is. Look at verse five. Then one of the elders said to me, hey, don't weep. John hears, and there's no one worthy to open the scroll. And he puts his head in his hands and begins to weep. He says, I wept and wept, for no one was found worthy. And one of the elders walks over and says, hey. He didn't say hey. He says, see. Behold. Look up, John, and see a lion. By the way, he's the lion from the tribe of Judah. Right down next to that, Genesis 49. The lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. He's the true king of Israel. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one that will come and rescue us. He has triumphed. And he is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Now get the picture. John loves to do this in Revelation. He highlights the difference between what John will hear and what he will see. Check it out. This is a very clever device of John. John's head is in his hands. He's weeping. John, look up, see a lion. He's expecting a powerful animal. He looks up, though, and what does he see? Look at verse 6. Head in his hands. John, see the lion. He looks up. He says, then I saw not a lion, but a lamb. Lions were symbols of power. Kings adopted them as symbols of power. And Jesus looks up, or John looks up, and he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb, and not just a lamb, a lamb looking as if it had been slain. This is not what you're expecting. Kings always come in the form of Domitian, power, rule, conquering, connections, money, reputation, who you know, political power. He looks up and sees a meek lamb who's been slain. Notice what John is saying. He's giving an idea. He's putting forward something for you and me to see. That we have a king, and he's able to open the scroll, but he's not like any other king we've ever seen in this world. He's the kind of king who welcomes in 
the broken. He's the kind of king who hangs out with the sinner. He's the kind of king who blesses children. He's the kind of king who took the very instrument that was meant to display the power of Rome, a cross. And on a cross, he displayed his power over sin and death. He's the kind of king who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We've never seen a king or a kingdom like this. He's taken the notion of power and flipped it on its head. He'll say this in the Gospel of Mark. You want to be great? Become a slave of all. We've never seen a kingdom or a king like this. And by the way, this is what our culture desperately is craving. A a kind of people where humility is honored, where gentleness is honored, where forgiveness wins the day. But no other ideology and no other social movement and no other political agenda on the right or the left has even gotten close to this. The manner in which the lion took his power was through becoming a slain lamb. Do you see the point? This is a flip on its head of everything that you're expecting. The way the world does power has been exposed as a fraud. It's what our culture desperately craves. That leads us to the, this, this last idea. We all have a song that we need to sing. We all desperately desire to worship, whether we acknowledge it or not. And we've seen a radical new demonstration of what it looks like to rule. It's a rule by sacrifice and service. Now let's see this better song. Verse seven, the lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. The lamb took the scroll. He's worthy. And when he had taken it, I mean, it's a party that goes off. I mean, they begin to sing. They fall down before the lamb and they sing this song, a new song saying, you, the lamb, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, Texans and Arkansans and Kansans and Missouri. What do you call yourselves? Missourians? From every tribe and language and people and nation. See the idea. The way that the world does power, it always ends up leaving us broken in competition, anxious, and always comparing. And he's purchased us out of that. He sets you free from the way that the world defines greatness and beauty and significance and importance and honor. He's flipped it all on its head. And it sets you free. It's, it's purchased you out of that. You've been bought out of that and then brought in to a new way to be human, a new way to live. It doesn't just stop there. Look at verse 10. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Kingdom and priests. Can you think of any other place where this kind of language is used in the Bible? In Exodus, the nation of Israel is purchased out of slavery and in Exodus 19, God says, you're, king, you're a kingdom and priest to me. But it goes even farther back than that. This is Genesis 1 and 2 language. At the very beginning of the story, here's what you and I were created to do. God creates humanity. 
in his image, which means we receive his glory. We get to behold it, and then we reflect it out. And he says, co-rule with me. You know your significance? You're like princes and princesses of my creation. Go have at it. Take the blessing of who I am and the goodness of who I am, and you take that to the rest of the world. You're kings and queens with me. And then it's not just that. In chapter 2, humans are invited into sacred space. They're invited to experience the blessing of God and then told to work and keep. That's the language used of the priest. Take this blessing out to the rest of the world. It's what you were meant to do. It's what you were meant to be. It's the thing that will unlock for you joy that takes you out of this rat race where you're constantly comparing and constantly anxious with people around you. It's what you're meant to be, and it's been restored in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I had a, uh, somebody sent me a video recently, and it was a, a news story, but it was on YouTube, and it was a story about Alzheimer's patients. And uh, I don't know if you, some of you might have had family that's gone through Alzheimer's and dementia, and these patients were in the deep throes of Alzheimer's and dementia. Like uh, one guy just broke my heart. Uh, he was sitting in a wheelchair. He had his head down. He had his hands kind of like this, and he, could, he, didn't know, he didn't know his spouse. He didn't know his kids. He could not form words, let alone sentences. And the news story was, was kind of describing uh, their, their physical and emotional state, their mental state. And this was, the story was from about 10 years ago. They psychologists began to do some experiments. What they were experimenting was, what are the effects of music on people with Alzheimer's and dementia? And especially after iPods and iPhones got more accessible so you could have them more readily. And so they began to run some, some tests to see if we bring music and we, when we kind of engulf their ears with like a noise-canceling headphones, that's all they can hear, what would that do? And I'm gonna show you a picture in just a minute. They would, they would bring this music and they'd play music from like decades earlier in these people's lives like songs in their childhood. And it was fascinating to see their affect change, like to see their face literally change. There's one guy, the guy that broke my heart, uh, as they were telling the story, the camera kind of panned up from him and this was, the, this was his face. And now I wanna go back, this was his face. He went from being down like this. And as soon as they put the music on, he went like this. And it wasn't just that. Like he, he had had this glazed look on his eyes and it was almost like literally light returned to his eyes. He began to like literally to move in rhythm to the song and then sing. He began to sing a song, a song with words that he hadn't, he, he didn't know his spouse, he didn't know his kids, but this song from decades earlier in his life, he began to sing and, and tap his hands in rhythm to it. They took the headphones off and he went, he went right back down. And for some reason, that just stuck with me. It was so moving to watch that. He was restored. He had a song to sing. And what Revelation is, is hinting at for you and for me is that's precisely what the gospel does for you and for me. It gives you your life. It gives you something bigger than you, something more compelling than all the other things that we could worship to anchor your life in. And I want John Piper to do the work for me. Here's what he says. Here's how we close. He says, worship is what we were created for. This is the final end of all existence, the worship of God. God created the universe that it would display the worth of his glory. And hear it, he created us so that we would see this glory and reflect it by knowing and loving it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's the invitation for you and for me tonight as we close. If you're here tonight going, I don't, 
know this, this song. I don't know this gospel message. I don't know it. Maybe, maybe you've heard a different gospel message. It's something about an angry God who gave you rules and then you broke him and he wants to send you someplace, but he sends Jesus to die instead. And I guess that's, you're going, man, I want that song. This song of the, the king who's broken through his kingdom into the world, who's restored us by a sacrificial death. This is an amazing king. Then here's what it looks like. Jesus even says it in the gospel. He says, repent. That means you reject all other things you're worshiping. So those can't satisfy me. He says, trust in me. And we would love to process that with you tonight. If that's you going, I, I need that, I want that. If you've been the Jesus follower, what song are you singing? What gets the worship of your life? The gospel message that Jesus' kingdom has broken through into the world is the only message beautiful enough, compelling enough, deep enough, rich enough to give your life to. It's the new and better song. He's our new and better king. And maybe tonight, uh, as we start this school year, we can reset to that song. That's the song we'll be singing. It gives you your life back. With that, with that in mind, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna invite you right now to stand, and then we're gonna sing to our king of kings together. Jesus, you've been sent by our heavenly father, and we thank you that you have purchased us You've reached down and pulled us out of the way that this world defines power and greatness and beauty and unlocked for us a new way to be human. So we were meant to be, and it's restored in Jesus. And we pray that even right now as we turn to sing to you, that that be the song in our head every day, that you would be glorified, and your kingdom would come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So right now, Jesus, we give you the praise that you're worth. We sing for your glory and your name and your name alone. Let's sing.
But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's continue to sing about that grace. Let's praise the name of the King.
Jesus, the resurrection is the proclamation that a new kingdom is burst onto the earth. It's a kingdom where death has been defeated, where sin has lost, where the people of this kingdom, with this king, can scoff at death and say, oh, death, where is your victory? And where is your sting? Where your people have been set free to be exactly who they were made to be. And all of this is for your glory. It gives you the rightful place in this world, in our hearts, and our lives as the king, as the object of our devotion, the song that we sing. So Jesus, would that be us as people, us as a church, us as churches and campus ministries in this city, that they may see the good king in us. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You can grab a seat real fast, a couple things before we head out of here. Uh, if you're new with us, uh, we'd love to get you connected to what it looks like to be in small group, how, what it looks like to figure out your place, how you can serve here in our church. And so we got a couple of QR codes. I bring, I'm going to invite the team up this year. So Kennedy, you come up. Where's Eileen? Eileen's over here. Give them a hand. There's Josh. So... So the college team this year, Josh Barnard, we got Kennedy, we got Eileen, you know, uh, Burton over here, he got Burton's ice cream here in just a minute. He does actually own that, uh, he runs that. So uh, a couple of things for you to know, a little shameless plug for you there. Uh, we would love to get you connected, not just here, like we can sing here, and we can say the scriptures together here, but we wanna, we wanna be a place where we can also bring our questions, our doubts, our difficulties, our struggles, all the stuff that we all go through. And the best place to do that is not a room like this, but in a living room. Not a room like this, but in a study room in your sorority or in your dorm or in your apartment, whatever that looks like. And so uh, we've got a bunch of different ways that can connect you in small group. I want you to do this. Take your phone out. Take your phone out. Even if you just humor me right now and have no intention of doing this, fake taking the QR code. You can fake it. Don't even pull your camera out, but at least humor me here. Just pretend. Pull your phone out and point it at the screen here. Thank you. If you're faking it, I think that's awesome, actually. Uh, so that's cool. That's not something I would do because I'm a terrible person. Um, so uh, uh, hit that QR code, and we have a couple ways that you can get connected to small groups this year. We're going to have uh, some small groups that are on uh, some designated nights. We need one correction on the sheet you have. You should have a sheet of piece of, a piece of paper around you or behind you or somewhere. Uh, uh, the, the Life's Healing Choices groups, uh, where, we, where we look at our hurts, habits, and hangups, those are gonna be on Monday night. Unless enough of you sign up, then we'll, we'll add some more nights. Those on that list, those are our small groups. We'd love to get you connected uh, this year. If you're looking to lead a small group, maybe you're going, I can't do Tuesday night, I just wanna lead uh, some freshman after chapter meeting, or I just wanna lead some guys on my team, or whatever that looks like for you, then go ahead and hit the QR code, and we want you to sign up for what we're calling Lead Team. We're gonna help release you and equip you to go and do just that right where you live, in your neighborhood, in your apartment, in your dorm, wherever that looks like for you. And the next thing, the last thing, the other QR code on there, hit that for me, Ruth, if you don't mind. We would love to help you figure out what it looks like to be a part of this kingdom going out, whether that's with uh, serving in, like with kids down there, whether that's serving in Celebrate Recovery, whether that's serving in a cell group, whether that's getting connected to what it looks like to serve in our city with homeless ministry, whether that looks like to serve in our city with those that are underprivileged here, right here in our city. If you're going, man, I just wanna figure out what it looks like to give back to the church and to this city, how I can make a difference for the kingdom, hit that QR code, we will connect with you. Last thing, we got Burton's. 
It's on us. I'm going to hold it before you go. I'm going to send them out to the booth. If you like, man, I don't want to do a QR code. I just want to talk to somebody. They're going to be out in the booth. I'll be right here. Get some ice cream. You don't have to rush out of here. I mean, we can't stay forever, but we'll go get some ice cream. We love you guys. We'll see you right back here next week. We're so excited to be back. Have a great first week. If you're going to school tomorrow, have a great first week. Enjoy.